Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of An Shehemet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about this week's Torah portion of Ayachel. Effective punishment must include atonement. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. I think one of the hardest things about parenting is effectively disciplining your kids, figuring out the balance between, you know, an effective punishment and not an effective punishment of kind of just blowing it. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to tell me how that works because I don't know that I've, I've found the effective part yet. I think it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of uh, trial and mostly error. I, it, it just is really hard, and I know every parent who's listening to this podcast would agree. What do you think is effective discipline for a child? Well, I think it's about changing behavior, right? Because sometimes it's just anger, you know, or frustration on the part of the parent, right? Um, go to your room. And uh, if, it, if there's no hope of, of improvement of that behavior or correcting, you're really just blowing off steam. I think you really kind of nailed it because there is that kind of that moment where you just, God, what are you doing? And go to your room without the kind of groundwork that would create, I guess what we should call it atonement, where someone actually sits and does the internal work of thinking about why was that wrong? What did you, what, what are you actually apologizing for? What happened there and what's the overall effect of it and how do you learn from it? That I think is, is really where the effectiveness lies. <laughs> that sounds really good. I, I wish we could have tried that. All I can <laughs> think about is like sending, sending the kid to the room and, and they go in there and they just, you know, immediately open the door again and try to come out. And then I'm on the other side holding the door closed so that they can't <laughs> come out. And I don't think there's a whole lot of contemplation going on on, on either end. Exactly. It suddenly become a power struggle. Yeah, and I'm bigger and, and stronger so the door stays closed and that's, that's the only victory I'm going to get. Right, because you know you've lost the battle when you say, because I'm your father, that's why. Yeah, right. <laughs> you might as well just wave the white flag and exactly. just say, you know, each other. Because I said so. Right, because I said so, right, exactly. And I'm your father, and that's it. I think this is, a, is, is an important idea that is actually, and I know you'll be shocked to hear this, is really underscored in this week's toll reading. Awesome. Because... <laughs> When we, <laughs> when we talk about when we talk about the the people of Israel, we refer to them as as B'nai Israel, really the children of Israel. And in some ways, Moses is the, Moses and God are the parents, and they are raising them to be not slave like, not sort of walking ids, you know, where they're just kind of responding to their needs in the moment but that they have perspective and that they can, they, they can actually grow from challenging experiences. So last week, we read of the golden calf. We saw Moses rebuke the people, Moses argue with God. But what happens in this week's portion is something kind of remarkable. First of all, there, there is the Sabbath, which is commanded again. And then there is the building of the tabernacle, the Sabbath and the building of the tabernacle. And Abraham Joshua Heschel once referred to the Sabbath as a tabernacle in time. So what he meant by that was that the Sabbath was a place 
where one could engage God in a very intimate way. You know, you sort of close yourself off from work and the workaday week and all of the noise that's part of our lives and focus on this relationship. Focus on your spiritual relationship. And the, the rabbis go on to go as far as to say that you actually, Jews have two souls. They have a weekday soul and that they have a Sabbath soul. And that every Sabbath you get to use that Sabbath soul, which is really attuned to God. And so too, the tabernacle was a focal point where you could be with God physically, right? So you have this, and spiritually, of course. And so you have these two ideas that are joined together. And what I want to suggest to you is that it's not a coincidence that that follows the story of the golden calf. It's an acknowledgement by God, I think, that the people needed something more than just a command to say, I am the Lord your God. I have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. I'm a jealous God. That doesn't really work on a day-to-day -day basis. We need something where I can look to and say, I'm in a holy place. I can commune with God. I need a place in time where I can do that. And so all of this is a way of also affecting real atonement, not just punishment, mm -hmm. but atonement on behalf of the people. And I think it's a very interesting, interesting idea that's, that's really, um, that's evolving here. Yeah, what I really like about this is that, um, you know, God is recognizing what caused the behavior God did not care for and that God punished the Israelites for. But he's looking and seeing what what was behind that behavior and, and he's acknowledging it and seeing their need there. And maybe there's a, a lesson there for me when I'm, you know, I don't send them to the room anymore. They're too big for that. I can't really hold the door anymore. They're stronger <laughs> than I am. But um, but if I could maybe understand. But, but you would, but you the, would if you could. If you oh, would, hell yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, but um, and I have to be careful. They don't beat me up. Should I be learning something about the behavior? What's causing them to act this way that I disapprove uh -huh. of? And, you know, how can I compensate for that? How can I address it? How can I improve the relationship so that, you know, I understand their behavior and maybe can change it that way, right? That would be, that would be cool. I could be that calm and just take that breath that's needed to kind of look at the bigger picture as the parent. There are many times when I could have done better and I feel badly about that kind of in, in retrospect and I felt that in the moment. But there's a learning curve for parenting, but I also think there's a learning curve for building societies. And I'm thinking that what applies to a, for a parent and a child, what applied to the children of Israel also applies for nations. I'm thinking about something that happened in the history of the United States. I'm talking, thinking about something that happened in the history of the world where you see what happens when you don't have the atonement piece. So I'm thinking about reconstruction in the United States, and I'm thinking about the Treaty of Versailles after the First World War. And in both cases, there was a war, and it was a bloody, horrible conflict. Civil War was the bloodiest war on American soil, and the Treaty of Versailles came after a horrific world war with mustard gas and everything else. And the North doled out punishment upon the South, bankrupted the South, and it visited a whole new set of laws regarding people of color. 
This is what we're doing, and that's the end of it. So swallow it, because this is the new reality. Right, and we sent troops down to enforce this and to force the South to treat former slaves better. And what happened as soon as those troops were pulled, the oppressive behavior began right away. So nothing was learned from that punishment. It's the equivalent of, of me sending them to their room and then letting them out again, and then you know, another tantrum follows. So you know what could have been done differently to actually uh, have something learned from that punishment is the question. People were killed, right? Right. When, 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 when the anger was so visceral, the hatred was so real that, you know, there were riots. I mean, you know, we were commemorating all the way into the, you know, well into the 20th century. There's same kinds of that anger, that response. And the same with the Treaty of Versailles. They brought Germany to their knees. They had all kinds of oppressive punishments laid upon them, economic and otherwise. And the hatred and the anger of the German people and the resentment brewed. Hitler rose up as the dictator, used the Jews as the focal point of all of their problems. And you have not only the Second World War, but you also have the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And we are still fighting the battle in the United States as far as the failure of Reconstructionism and the failure of, of the follow-through, because this country has never gone through this period of atonement. And that means to understand and to think about the issue from both sides, to, to understand, not to agree, but to at least understand each other, to have the dialogue that's necessary, to build something that is going to acknowledge whether it's physical or otherwise, but to create something that's going to make that difference so that we can kind of grow from here and go forward from here, build from here as one nation. And that was never done. Yeah, that's right. And it seems to be hard. There seems like there's more um, instances of the failure to communicate, the failure to understand both sides. And there are examples of where it works really well. We're clearly still learning how to do this. The controversy about statues about, you know, that were many of which were built and put up in the early part of the last century, right, and into the 20s. This was all a response to say Reconstructionism was a failure. And our response to these statues is to tear them down. It's basically just saying you lost this war. You don't get to put these up. Just deal with it already. But it's not working. That's right. It's not working. And we're not having the conversation that needs to be had. Not to say that I know exactly how to do it, but there's a national conversation in the waiting that's not being had. And as a result, and especially with social media, things are heating up in ways that they shouldn't heat up. And it really feels as though we are devolving to a very bad place. Yeah. And I think it comes from a lack of willingness to understand and to talk and to listen on so many of these issues. And the further apart we get, the harder it is to get people to sit down and to even even try to listen to each other. And I think that this is going to be the challenge of our age. Look, you can talk about it from uh, on every level of every society, including recidivism, uh, you know, in how we punish people with jail. What's the goal of this? Do we just give up on people? Do we just treat them as animals? Do we just put them in kind of a Lord of the Flies situation? Or are we trying to think in terms of how do we work with a person to give them hope for a future and a different way? As in a society, we have to go through atonement and think about what caused this, what caused this person to respond this way. 
And how do we fix that part too? This great example that you pointed out, the worst sin that we possibly could have committed, making the, the creating this golden calf, God could have given up on us. He didn't. He addressed the, the core at what was what was causing that behavior and worked with us, right? It wasn't just the parent raining down punishment, but really there was a, a sense of love and caring and partnership that made for a better future. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. <laughs>